This episode is brought to you by CEP Compression Australia. CEP Compression gives the user more energy, greater endurance, and enhanced performance during activities. For a discount at CEP, use the following code online, local legends in running. Welcome to the Local Legends in Running podcast, where you hear the stories from local legends in Australian running that you've simply always wanted to hear. Today in Season 2, Episode 1, I interview former elite runner, now coach, Nick Tui. Nick's story is both truly amazing, yet heart-wrenching to hear. After becoming the fastest 800-meter runner in 2006 in Year 12, Nick graduated from Nudgee College with the school record of 148. From there, he headed over to America to pursue the running dream college. Although during this time, Nick was actually able to break the 148 barrier, his time at college was truly a roller coaster ride. In the way Nick explained, he seemed to essentially be getting slower as the years passed by, seen clearly by the fact that only a few years later, he had run a 157 in the eight, a significant nine seconds slower than his time in year 12. Ultimately, Nick was burnt out physically and mentally, which culminated in an injury-riddled time in America, and unfortunately, stemming back in Australia, where he returned to chase success in the 1,500-metre event. Through all of it, though, he has remained optimistic, clearly witnessed by his contributions these days to coaching at his now recreational and performance running group in Run the North, and additionally, at Nudgee College in Brisbane. So, as always, kick back, relax, and enjoy hearing about the fascinating story surrounding Nick Tui. That's right. Anyway, we'll make an official start. Nick Tui, welcome to the Local Legends in Running podcast. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Now it is uh, Saturday, 28th of the 1st, uh, first week done for teachers as well. Um, I'm feeling relieved myself. How are you feeling today on a Saturday afternoon? Yeah, long week with the uh, Thursday. We went back Monday, which is very unusual for Nudgy. We usually have borders travel day, but with the Thursday uh, public holiday, went back a day earlier. Um, so long week in the end, very, very relieved. So boys and staff back Monday or did you separate it? Yeah, new new boys, new boys and staff Monday. Staff, we were back last week on Thursday, new staff, uh, sorry, what do you call it? Uh, returning staff. Returning staff. And then, yeah. yeah, Tuesday we had regular day. Mate, um, it's been warm at the moment, hey? I was out for a long run this morning. Um, I'd managed 21K actually, it's the longest I've run probably in a month. It's just relentless, this heat. How are you guys traveling at Run the North? Yeah, so um, the Kedron Brook there in the morning is a <laughs> bit of a cesspool for humidity. 
Um, it's not. It's been okay to start a couple of times and gotten gotten um, poor. Then with our my sort of my group more the afternoon five o'clock at Nudgee, it's a bit hot warming up. Five thirty though, it's perfect. It's pretty good. Most of the tracks in shade, so as you finish warming up, you actually get a nice little bounce as the shade comes across the track. This morning though was we do nine o'clock Saturday. And um, if you're not racing, it was, she was pretty rough, but yeah, nine <laughs> o'clock coach, you've got to sleep in. Uh, it's sort of like everyone has a little sleep in. Um, I can go watch a park run if I need to, but also just it, in summertime, it's, yeah, it's a little bit testing. Um, but we did have to actually uh, change the session about halfway through. You just, all of a sudden, it was some nice cloud cover about 9.30, 9.45. And then not quarter to 10, it just got hot all of a sudden. So we just, we just sort of wrapped it up with um, a little fast 400 or something. We just finished their sessions there. Had a few guys doing sort of 5K threshold runs. Ugo, they were per- it was so easy for 3K and then all of a sudden <laughs> it just got rough. So they're pretty smart. So yeah, one of those days. Yeah, I was with the Burke crew Tuesday doing a threshold 25 minutes and um, we're all sweet for about 15. Like absolutely yeah. comfy. And then there's just a certain point, the moment with how hot it is, you just hit it and there's no yeah. coming back. It's like you got to, yeah. at the moment, just got to be easy on threshold pace and doing anything hard. Yeah. Well, our rec group go out, they go out at six o'clock on Saturday. Um, or, and then we're about to move to Sundays as that group goes towards uh, Gold Coast marathon type preparation. Um, but yeah, I think for the, for my sort of fellows that I specifically coach, it's more, um, bit uncomfortable right deal with it yeah uh, yeah yeah so it was a younger younger crew um younger like, crew go at nine o'clock yeah, yeah. yeah no yeah. no one would come at nine from the record they just say yeah i'll just have a sleep in yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um we've seen people on the media too in the last week or so and uh i believe you have a connection to him and uh it's all unfortunately for him up in the air at the moment what what have you sort of read about or any kind of connections you have with pete and his situation at, at this point in time yeah. Well, I think most guys that have run an 800 in Australia at some stage had that connection via Justin Rinaldi, his coach, who's just like loves track. Um, you know, when I was coming through running some 800s, and I, I think I met Justin on an internet forum in 2003, <laughs> or I think it was called Track Stars or something. He was a legendary, legendary forum at the time. And he was always there to lean on as, as just the most like track loving person, never like a or you should come down here and coach train with me type vibe, just a, Hey, how you going? Yeah. That sort of thing. Got to race him a couple of times at the end of his career, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So obviously you just, you're just feeling for, for him right now. It's hard to, you look at Peter Bowl and I mean, sometimes you hear about a positive test and you're like, Oh, that makes sense. But like, it doesn't make any sense performance wise. Um, or I'm, I don't know the guy, but I know that Justin wouldn't coach a fool or anything. So I'd be mm. stunned to, think anything like that um i just i just think it's so hard to really understand like unless you're deep into the scientific knowledge of of, you know this stuff um just like it's just that flabbergasting it makes no sense there's no if you look at his career there's no obvious oh my god how did he go from that to that he's just gotten a bit quicker and a bit more consistent every year so i mean it's one of those things when you hear it, you, yeah, it was Friday afternoon on the way home, just just left the uh, principal's shout drinks and yeah, the jaw just hits the ground sort of thing. So, I mean, it's just, I think two things, my, my two thoughts when I thought about it though really are like, when are like 
when are the anti-doping systems going to stop leaking a samples? We're not really meant to know about this yet. Yeah. It's not fair to him because if that test comes back B sample negative, like there are some people that will just never believe that. Yeah, for whatever reason, they will just choose not to believe it. And yeah, I'll just that's wrong. You know, and people might say, well, he came out and told us about the positive. Yeah, only be, but that's only because someone somewhere, you know, through an anti-doping system, you know, has maybe hinted at someone, a journo, something like that, to say, hey, there's a big positive and maybe given a nod of the head or something when someone starts rattling off names. But that stuff, when are they going to be, you know, held to account for that? Um, I think the other thing, like, oh, I just, I just hope, I think the one thing I actually, I think about him and he seems like a really nice guy and you just hope if he hasn't done it, that that B sample comes back negative. Like I just can't imagine if, if he, if he, if he's the only person that, and obviously his support group will all get around him and they'll believe him. Like and you, he'll need that if it came back positive, because if he hasn't done anything, like how's he gonna, how do you move on from that? Knowing that you, cause I, yeah. How do you, your career's over just about. I don't know how you deal with that when you know you've done nothing wrong. And so I hope, yeah, I just hope for the East sake, if if there hasn't been anything go on, that the B sample helps him out there. Because um, I think if it if if you made a mistake or something like that, he's a good person still. It doesn't make him a bad person and, and he'll be able to forgive himself eventually and good people will forgive him and he'll be able to move on with his life eventually. But, I mean, the other way around just feels horrendous for him. Yeah, and the thing is, it comes off the back of him, you know, him becoming more prominent in the country, not just to the running circle, but to anyone following sport or even general mm. news. Like this, this has made a few, like listening to ABC, a video on ABC from the news this morning about it. Uh, and the thing is, to set the scene too, for those who hadn't followed it closely, it was October, I think, wasn't it, Nick? And it was EPO. And from my understanding, EPO is basically a stimulant for red blood cells and red blood cells are responsible for transporting oxygen, therefore giving you a, a, a better position to actually put down a, a performance that is enhanced. And I think you'd probably know even better than I that as the distances go down in terms of length, say, you know, a marathoner versus a hundred meter sprinter, I think you're under the microscope a bit more so when it, those sort of power and speed events are involved. And 800 is so fast these days. It always has been fast, but I think you get more pressure too. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's so competitive in that, in that event right now. And so I think they're definitely looking around at it. But as I said, like, I just, I just find it hard to fathom that this is something he's done. Like I just don't believe it almost like there's nothing about his profile that screams mm. being cheating. And I think typically like, I'd highly doubt he just decided, as Shervington said, I think last week, you know, there was one positive test. He's been testing clean since then. Um, so, sure, yeah, you take that into account. Maybe there's a better chance than I originally thought that it would come back as a bit of a, a faulty one. Certainly hoping so. Um, yeah, you just, it just, you can hear in the voice. I'm just flabbergasted. I, I just hope for the, that he gets the right result in the end. Yeah, and I immediately started talking about it, even to family and friends who don't even follow running. It was just like, you know, in the running community, it's something you sort of go through emotionally when you hear these things. But he, I reposted a, a, a post of his earlier in the week, uh, eight days ago, actually, I'm reading 20th of January, and I'll, I'll read out the first paragraph. That sums it up, basically. This is from Pete. 
And he said, it's critically important to convey with the strongest conviction that I'm innocent and have not taken this substance as I am accused. And I ask that everyone in Australia believe me and let the process play out. So yeah, fingers crossed, eh? Yeah, I think that's all you can do. Like he's right now, he actually deserves the, you know, the, what do we call it? Um, you know, deserves you know, the presumption of innocence right now. Yes, and that's um, and, the that's the unfortunate situation. Uh, uh, the reputation, yeah, is and, I, and that's probably the thing that, yeah, exactly, yeah, and and that's where I come back to like what, when anti-doping places going to be held account, or even potentially the organisations, yeah, they're working with them. Where are the leaks coming from? Because you're never meant to hear about this, but you always do. Yes. Yeah. Know? Well, we and we um, that, that's a big issue. Yeah, we can go on forever. Let's let's get to yeah. you, Nick. We're here for for you today, and and, <laughs> uh, and and your and your groups run the North and Nudgy. But I'd like to start with that actually. So just set the scene. We've obviously alluded to and spoken to uh, Nudgy and Run the North in the last ten or so minutes. But just give a brief brief rundown about what you're doing at Nudgy, and how that compares to the coaching that you do with Run the North. Um, so I'm yeah, head head coach of cross country middle distance at Nudgy. So I had a bit of a sabbatical, we'll call it, for a yes, couple of years. Yes, heard about that. Really good for me. <laughs> really nice for me. Um, in the end, um, just to get out of pure high stakes schoolboy racing and um, and trying to get kids who you might only coach for four weeks a year into red hot shape, but uh, yeah, extend the wings a bit. And so it's good to have a be able to do both now. Um, yeah, so the Nudgy group there. We'll get kickoff training Monday. We've had some nice holiday running, just some long runs on the holidays, just getting some culture going. Um, it's been really nice. You know, 10 to 15 boys just coming out and jogging, which has been a lot of fun. Hopefully establish some good good habits for life as well as for the next couple of years. <laughs> um, and so we have a, a couple of boys sort of running club track seasons at the moment. And then um, so we'll have to balance their workloads through the year and then, a group that will start Monday you know, as a then a group of those boys starting Monday. Yeah, they'll run cross country all year, um, and then sorry, not cross country. They'll just run school stuff all year, and then some will pop around in between stuff like that. Um, and then you know I've got my run the north. So myself and Ben Groth run a run the north um, run group here in north side of Brisbane. Sort of giving away in the name there that one, and uh, that's got a rec group which uh, yeah, I just more go along and support whoever's taking that group at that time. And, the, and then I coach a group there of more, you know, well, at the moment, 11 to 20 year olds who are probably a little bit more serious in the way they're attacking their running goals, um, follow mm. the club season rather than the fun run type uh, season. So yeah, it's a really good mix at the moment, really enjoying it. Uh, it means a little bit less running for me, but, you know, providing some opportunities for people, which is, sort of why we started this. Yeah, so let me just clarify this. So the group you have at Nudgy, like that that was run the North and has been for years, which you founded. And then off the back of that, the rec adult group, or even if you've got younger runners there, is more of a recent thing. I think it started in the last two years. I've sort of been helping out a few people here and there um, prior to the, the official founding of Run the North. Uh, yeah, I think I think it went through like a two e running at one stage, something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Got together with Ben. We had really similar views on a few things. Thought it'd be easier to do something together as a team rather than by ourselves. Uh, so literally, we were launching the rec stuff with all of it at the same time under the one banner, and uh, COVID hit. 
so the rec group really became the early driving force behind this with mm. school sport. Yeah, the people that I was after coaching at that stage for, for my group, they weren't competing at, you know, Met North and District. So no one really knew they were any good at running. So we just planned along with about, you know, seven or eight boys for a, about a year and a half. But yeah, we've seen a real big growth in the past 12 months. We've had about 30 kids at training the past past week, for example, in that group. So it's been really exciting to um, see that grow and start to diversify. We, you know, we sort of just had a bunch of boys to start. Now we've got a great group of girls who are terrific mm. to work with and from a few different schools. And yeah, it's been really fun. Yeah, the girls, like, as in literally girls under 18 um, and women in general, I think are starting to become more prominent in the running groups out there. And uh, particularly Absolutely. like even the sort of young 20s age group and almost they're almost like replacing that with the old uh, heading out and drinking phase that you and I are probably more accustomed to, you know, 10 <laughs> or 15 years ago. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. And, you know, I think we really, our rec group really started off the back of, um, a bunch of girls that that ran a ton in, in high school and um sort of decided not to pursue that as a career but i think the love for running never yeah yeah you know never disappeared and they um found us and, and it was terrific for us and uh, hopefully we've given them a bit of found their passion for running again help them find that and, and that really drove our group um, so it's quite funny for a while we'd get these we'd have fellas joining that had never run before during the eight and that was their COVID thing. And, uh, and they were training or doing our rec running stuff with these girls who were, you know, 15, 16, seven year old state champions, you know, running 208, 800s. A really cool mix. Um, yeah. Every now and then you might get a tap on the shoulder from one of the other guys going, like, how good, are, how good are these girls? Like, yeah. I thought you were a rec running group. So you've got to understand they're, actually, they're, they're really talented runners. Like, it's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, and that is anyone who's run eight hundred. You have meters, you have joined big. a rec running group. Yeah, because yeah, we we've got probably four or five that have run under two twelve, and they're beautiful movers. And mate, my PB you know, was two ten. Intimidating, just look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's intimidating to watch someone who moves so well. Like yes, you know, and yeah, so it's been quite quite a funny side side thing of it. Yeah, and I think like there's a few groups like yourself actually that are out there uh, with this idea and notion of uh, it being very social and for mental health and emotional health and just enjoying the, the sport for what it is as opposed to uh, groups that are more performance-based. So it's, it's good to see that they are getting bigger. So what sort of numbers are you getting there at the moment? I'd say we're getting oh, close to 50 a week across the two groups. Um, I'd say we've got 30 regulars in across both groups and then and a, and a pretty half and half split. Um, so this week, it's funny, hey, the, hu the way humans work, everyone seems to feel the same. You know, we had a public <laughs> holiday this week, real humid. So we sort of had floated between 10 to 13, I think. Um, yes, when I've seen a few text, morning, me yeah. text messages coming in with the same. Yeah, exactly. And the texts come in the exact same thing, or people rock up and they go, Oh, we're all just so tired this week. And it's, you know, you get teachers, nutritionists, physios, all different ranges of, of occupations, and everyone feels the same. It, it's quite funny. Um, and then, yeah, so similar, we've had probably 10 to 20, probably close to 20 a couple of times this week in, in my group of an afternoon. So, about 10 out there this morning and I think four or five racing tonight. So 
Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, well, mate, we've spoken about other people for the last almost 15, 20 minutes when, when we're trying to get into Nick. Uh, but, you know, that summarises you. I think it's a lot about other people for you these days. But um, just give us a bit of a background, a background around uh, you as a person. What do you do away from all this stuff? You must be occupied very much by all of this. You've got a partner, I think, as well, and you're living locally on the north side. Yeah, yeah, my partner Anna, so she's at work at the moment. So I'm just waiting for her cats to come and bombard the interview. <laughs> but they, I can see one just to my right there. He's, he's thinking about it. He might be a bit scared while I'm talking to myself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, there's not a ton of time to myself. I, I enjoy fantasy sports. I'm a big, big fantasy Premier League super coach type guy. Um, enjoy watching the soccer. I think I'll have to give up coaching the soccer this year, which is a bit of a shame with all that sort yeah. of stuff going on. Um, but so Anna and I really only have Sunday together that are off at the same time. So she works Tuesday to um, Saturday. So we've got our one-year anniversary dinner tonight, actually. Um, hopefully she doesn't think I forgot that. Tonight. And uh, <laughs> so Sunday is our day. We probably have a bit of a sleep in. I might do a run in the morning. She gets her sleep in after the after the big you know week of work, and then we'll go get out in the afternoon and try and eat somewhere, some sort of date. We'd go boating last Sunday. That was a lot of fun. My neck's still sore from driving like that. It's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, but you are right. Like after that, you know, I'm probably not probably leaving. You know, leaving home at five thirty on a at a morning most mornings, or five o'clock on a Tuesday, Thursday, and now. Monday, Wednesday, nudgy cross country starting. So probably only get home before five o'clock, man, once a week, which probably surprises people who are, you know, teachers uh, or who think that teachers are, you know, eight or three type operators. Definitely not the case, as you know. Yeah. Um, so pretty much, it's almost like being a professional athlete sometimes during the term. And, you know, it's like you have to go in recovery yeah. mode when I get home and, yeah, eat well, drink, drink a lot of water, all that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, I'm sure, like, it seems like you're a man that likes to be busy, wants to be busy, and sure you have moments that are probably, like, you know, you want to really get away from it, but I gather even on the holidays, you might end up getting a bit restless and bored. You don't have much of a break from your coaching, too. I've seen you had a few weeks around around Christy time, and you're back into it pretty quickly. Yeah, tried to have, what, two weeks? Um, tried to have two weeks with pretty much no contact, so give the guys plans and all that sort of stuff, but the running on the holidays too is great. Like the nudgy boys, I was running with them. So it's hardly coaching. They're good fellas yeah. to run with and have a yeah. chat. So that doesn't really feel like work. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think two weeks is typically enough for me just to go, oh, that's nice not to have to go to the track today. Even though you love it, you do get to those stages. Um, yeah, I'm really big on rest for kids too. So we'll build in. Um, I think when you're really busy, right, like you only need a little break in your, in your routine to feel And it feels refreshed. massive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I'll just – we build in weeks, you know, after championship meets where we won't have training, just yeah, four, four weeks of rest through the year where and that just makes a world of difference. You know, just getting home at – and on those days, you know, I'm trying to get out of school at 2.57, beat the buses out mm-hmm. and just get home, switch off, um, freshen up. Yeah, I think or it's a good message. FIFA on the PlayStation yeah. this summer has been a big, big thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw a um, like a FIFA thing over time, like they're showing videos of FIFA footage in the last twenty years. It came out somewhere online. Yeah. Geez, the game's improved a bit, but not not so much in the last five to ten years. But before that, it was a completely different game, FIFA. Yeah, absolutely. I still remember playing FIFA '96, Road to the World Cup, was like or '98. <laughs> Unbelievable game. That's when I started playing. I haven't really played it for a long time. To be fair, but I um, 
got a bit lucky on a had five dollars left in the old sports bet account and just did a funny bet and it came off so i bought a playstation 5 <laughs> and and i had no intention of ever buying one. i was like oh well that'll be fun for the holidays and, my, my, and i had to work all holidays so um sort of knew well, i might get some to entertain myself there yeah yeah it's, it's well, amazing how much they've changed yeah oh completely well let's get to uh these running times of of old yeah, right shall right. we say uh more honestly <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, just to set the scene now, are you happy to happy to share your age range or age, uh, age or a range of age? That's a bit of a tongue twister for the listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm 34 now, going on 35, so that's scary. And um, the peak for you, really, so with you know 35 ish now, uh, was was probably around you know 10 to 15 even. But I know you were recording and putting times down in. I'm reading dates of like 2016. Like, was there a yeah. time, and we'll get to this later on with, in the uh, interview, was there a time that it was very pretty much, I'm done with this now? Uh, I sort of knew 2016 that going into that year, I didn't wasn't really thinking yeah. it'd be worthwhile running track after that. It'd be 28. Yeah. I, I thought I wanted to do a marathon fast, you know, proper. Um, and sort of, that was sort of my plan, was try and make that those Olympics and then, if you make them, maybe it's a bit different, but transition to something longer after that, pretty traditional sort of model. So, um, yeah, I sort of knew going to that year that I didn't think my body was going to be able to run too much faster, too much longer. Um, so, and it turned yeah. out, unfortunately, that turned out to be very true. Didn't, yeah, didn't even yeah. get through that year. <laughs> we'll come back to that in a bit more detail. So the time. So I'll read these out. By all means, correct me if they're wrong. These are found uh, on two websites. Normally, it's World Athletics for those who make it uh, pro or pro-ish. And I found another random website called like Athlete Bio or something. Had like all your America times on it and even times back. At, oh, like, yeah. That used to be a great time. website when I was in. It was a great way to track yourself back like yeah. prior, pre-Strava and all that. And you could like type in all your stuff. And it was just a really cool way to track your performance. And yeah, I really love that. I used to graph it as well at home and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I even found, so I'll start with that in mind at the bottom, 11.5 for 100 metres as well, which uh, <laughs> if that's electron electronic, that's that's some gas there. Does it, did it say the meat next to it? I can't believe oh, I, I can't so. recall. Um, It must have been around 2004 though, right? Five? Yeah, I did a fair bit of speed development work in, in 05, 06 in my years of year 12. And back then you could run... Yeah, 18 years, 19 years and under at Met North was very weak. Well, not Met North, that's school sport. You know, there was only a few handful of 18-year-olds still in school. So I think that might have been, excuse me, at Met North. It said, yeah, it I says QE2. Yeah. Oh, two, my, but... would have just, that would have been a pre-GPS, mate, would have been. So 11.5 add on the 0.24. It was probably 11.7. Yeah, GPS weekly yeah. track and field. Yeah, there you go. DH schedule or something maybe. But anyway, that's, yeah. that's there. That's... Uh, that shows your pace, but also with that in mind, the 400 shows your pace to at 49.24. Correct? Yeah, yeah, I think that was at UQ. I think 800. Pretty sure I ran it. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I, I was always remember that race because I thought I might run a bit quicker. I always struggled on a real, real fast four, but uh, Craig Burns was in lane six, who'd run like He'd been to the world champs in the four by four by that stage, and he passed me after about forty meters and scared the living daylights out <laughs> of me. So I still bad, PB'd, yeah. but I just like was I was like, oh my god, it's how the worst feeling. Already yeah. passed me, yeah, <laughs> yeah, forty nine twenty four, uh, one forty seven seventy two, which um, arguably is probably your strongest time. And there's 
some conversation around that to follow uh, shortly uh, where that sort of place back uh, around that time in, in uh, your life. 1500, 339.87, 3K, 831. But I gather you didn't run many of those at all. I haven't found any times above 3K, mate. Have you ever run a race or ever ran longer than 3K? <laughs> <laughs> well, right. I'll cross country. Does that count? Yeah, uh, yeah. On the track, on the track, no. I actually ran a little bit quicker than three k indoors um, at the conference meet, the Big Twelve conference meet. I was meant to be pacing the slow section, and uh, it was quite funny. So, I know at the Big Twelve meet, sort of, um, there's the three k is the last event indoors of the meet. So every coach enters the, all the distance runners in case they're desperate for points. So you get 16 in the first section and then in the second section, which actually runs first, is everyone else. So Coach had, is actually at, on our indoor track and we had a guy who we thought could score, but he was the 17th guy. He missed the uh, fast section. So my job was to go out and run, you know, try and run close to four minutes for the first 1500 and give him a chance to score. Anyway, the uh, Iowa State guys turned out they were going through in 359. So I just sat on them for 1500. Went through in 401. And by this stage, I'd already run a heat and final of the thousand and the DMR twelve hundred. So I was, yeah, I had in two days I was pretty tired. But geez, I'm on for a big PB here. I feel really good, like four hundred one fifty. Got to two k, and I could tell, I could hear Coach Coach Waters from, yeah, uh, he's now the head coach of Alabama, like telling me to get off the track. I was like, absolutely not. I'm going for PB here. And it felt really good. And he, after the race, goes, I thought you might win that for a second. And then all of a sudden, it just fell apart. I think I ran 427 for the second 1500. Oh, really? And yeah. you had you had to, um, but I was like, I'm not wasting this. I've run 2K. I'm getting a PB here. And they, um, if you get lapped, you have to get off the track. So they were starting to come around. I think the heat, winner of the heat ran 802 or something like that. So I had to, and I came through the bell about seven seven something 750 you know and i knew i only had to run a 40 for to break 830 so i only just got there <laughs> so it is is the pb though yeah 828 something like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He, you think it'd be a bit quicker with the 339 in mind but is that so is that either yeah. because you you were a speed athlete or because it didn't have the time and training specified to, to actually you know be a strong it's a bit that just much yeah, it's just a bit of one of those things. I only ever ran one a year after that. Yeah, I ran yeah. the state three k, and some years like it was it was often my first race, so yeah, I hadn't raced for it, you know that sort of thing. One year we had a plan in the state three k that like if you uh, if the pace was over this pace at six hundred, you got to take off. Hmm. So I took yeah. off, and then I just died a bit around eight thirty something. Yeah, come fourth. You know, if I had have actually raced properly as such and not done that. I probably would have run run a bit quicker, but I mean, probably would have only gone down to like eight twenty, I think. And in, in the perfectly paced race, maybe a tiny bit quicker. But when you only do one a year, like really, I don't think people. Sometimes people forget you've got to actually spend some time yeah. perfecting yeah. each race. Yeah. So, but also like, I wasn't going to threaten sub fifteen at that stage. I don't think. Yeah. So what about uh, five and ten k out in the roads or even a park run? Any times? Yeah, uh... I ran. I think I ran about fifteen fifty at the Bolt um, once, but that was the day after GPS track and field, so I was pretty knackered. Oh, <laughs> didn't in finish too well. Yeah, no, no. And on school, I'd been coaching, and we'd oh, won. Okay. It was I think it might have been twenty thirteen. So we just won for the first time in a few years. So I only got to bed about 2, 3, 3 a.m. Yeah, on the uh, feed all day, of course. Oh, yeah, feed all day. Then we were celebrating. I, I didn't drink or anything like that. But yeah, just it was obviously a little bit flat the next day. I think I ran, I ran a 15, 26 park run at Sandgate, probably my quickest one there. 
and that's pre uh, that's not, not wasn't it you know speed week or anything like that as i like to call it these days it was just by myself um and then i've 10k i have run i think i fourth or something like that or seventh in bridge of brisbane one year well, I actually ran 30, 50 for 10K in oh, college. Okay. Well, 10K cross country, but it was on the Arkansas uh, chili pepper course. So I, I can't imagine that's that short. Um, but that was, yeah, that was the first time I'd ever raced 10K. I remember getting a 5K and thinking, oh my God, I I'd go again, like five of that. that this, is a, this is a bit nuts. But uh, that was probably the most aerobically fit I'd ever been. I'd just sort of come, I'd done one track season there, sort of got a bit overweight. So I'd done a ton of Ks over summer and I, a ton of Ks for me, I'd done like 80K a week and I just had that initial burst of aerobic endurance that you get from the first time you really sustain some sort of volume. And what year and, was uh, the uh, yeah. to Brisbane? Or who won it? That's often oh, a way we can define like in my mind. Yeah, I can't yeah, remember. I I've, did, I've done it twice. I reckon I finished in the top 10 twice, one on each course, but I might be making that up. Maybe Jack um, O'Elliott was the... Uh, Probably the guy yeah, it wouldn't surprise me one of them if one of them was Jacko. The first one I did was one of the last ones, I think, on the old course over the – or that's now back to yeah, the regular course. Yeah, before the transition course. to the start point near Grammar there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that would have been we like tried to win the team race, 2015 yeah. or something. Something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if it was 2014. Yeah. Um, because I was quite fit. put a really good – and I had a really good start to that track season later on, yeah, six months later as well. Yeah, and no half a marathon, even recreationally, or, or no, I don't. I did Gold Coast a few. So post twenty sixteen, I sort of was going to spend the year getting some volume in, and and then try and run a marathon in twenty eighteen, and ran Gold Coast half. I ran it in seventy five without. I mean, I did one workout a week. It was essentially two k reps once a week. Long and runs. That was about it, and then just lots of long runs. Yeah. So yeah, long runs. Yeah, I might do at that stage. I was doing. Yeah, I might do 16, 18k on a Wednesday with split up into heart rate zones. Um, and ran, ran it pretty well. Like finished really fast. Um, but hadn't done the workout to be, yeah, the workouts to be really aggressive or anything like that. Yeah, and obviously not not during that peak time that you're running at. But that that wasn't the focus really anyway. So. Yeah, maybe you might come back to it later. You know, mid-30s, Kipchoge's like 38 <laughs> this year. I keep thinking I wouldn't mind doing that, but you know, I think <laughs> coaching, well, it's hard with time, right? And so I'd rather give my time to other people. I don't need the time for myself now. I sort of have a pretty good idea what I think I could have run for certain things in my head, and that's okay to know that. And, you know, Happy to call other it. People now. Happy to uh, know what time you <laughs> well, can I run. Really, I, I, I really, I really, I really. for sure. Oh, dear. I think definitely. Like, and my, oh, I really trust my, my co track coach back in the day, Paul Schomburg. Like, he always felt like, well, I had a pretty good, like, natural aerobic base. I didn't need to do a lot of running to do some pretty handy 5K sort of stuff. So he always sort of felt like I could pretty comfortably, you know, he always said that in inverted commas, you know, marathon related run, run around that 240 under there. Um, so. Whether that's true or not, who knows? And I, I, do, I do know I used to break the Garmin. Yeah, you know, the old Garmin predictor used to say like 212. Oh, they're ridiculous. I'd be, running, I'd, I'd be running like 45K a week. And it, <laughs> it was predicting a 212, which I always thought was pretty funny. So you haven't run the marathon then? No, I ran, I ran Gold Coast this year. Yeah, oh, ran, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a bit of a stinking build. I ran 320. Yeah. Um, and I sort of binned any attempts at running real fast. Yeah. 
you know, I got COVID, we were, I got COVID and a foot like infection within a couple of weeks of each other and lost, I lost about six weeks of proper running um, in the Easter holidays. And then obviously we had the floods here as well. So I was coaching at a, at a girls' school here and was going to, they were about to finish six weeks before the Gold Coast Marathon. I was like, that'll be perfect. I'll just increase another run there at that stage, really hammer the diet for six weeks, you know, lay off the afternoon beers, all that stuff. And then, and then they, we, the season went three weeks longer because of the uh, floods there and all that stuff. So that sort of, that was the final nail in the coffin. So I was pretty happy with 320. Yeah, I set I mean, out on the day. General, to be, yeah. I wanted, yeah, I wanted to run under 330. And actually, it was an immaculate pacing performance. I won't lie. Like, it was splendid. <laughs> and uh, were you running with someone? I think I, I've seen a photo of you. Yeah, yeah. I ran with one of the guys in our group, Harry. Yeah. He, he wanted to run 330. So I said, just come with me, mate. I'll get you there. Um, he was freaking out when we started ticking off, you know, 452s. And I was like, mate, don't worry. We've been even. It'll be okay. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he ran very even. I think he ran 323 in the end. So that really showed him what he could do, which was good. And he's pretty excited for this year, I think. Well, mate, congratulations. I guess uh, that, that that time could come down, mate, if we continue to uh, train into our late 30s. Yeah, exactly right. I would, <laughs> I'd like to do one and just see, you know, be nice to have a PB with a two in it, wouldn't it? Oh, that would be nice. But yeah. I, whether or not we get the time to put that sort of effort in, that that's a two, three-year process, really. Um, so yeah, it, has to, it has to be years. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Anyway, let's um let's get to uh, Nick as a kid. So just talk to us about where you were born, uh, the primary school days, and then heading uh, to school where I believe you attended Nudgee College. Not not sure about the primary right. school though. So uh, yeah, floor's yours. Yeah, I, I was born in uh, Air in North Queensland. Oh right, way back in 1988. Yeah, so we lived there till till I was eight. Um, and yeah, had a, a tiny little bit of exposure to running there. Yeah, a couple of sprint races, and I think I did one day a little A's, but didn't didn't do it. Little uh, A's, still up have there. those. Yeah, little club. We went to one day. I don't know why we didn't kick on there, to be honest. And then um, grew up around there at the rugby club. Dad was coaching the local, the Burdick and Cane Toads. So Saturdays, following Dad around at the rugby, being the ball boy, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely love my rugby. Um, then we moved to. To Brisbane when I was eight, dad took up a job at St. Pat's. So mum and dad are both teachers, didn't want to be teaching the kids. So we moved mm. to the Big Smoke and yeah, we ended up in G-Bung and I was at St. Kevin's there and I was fortunate enough there. There was a um, a guy who ended up coaching me at Nudgee, Jared Alexander, who, who loved running. He was only at St. Kevin's for the first year we were there, but he'd set up a culture of running at that school. So I was sort of exposed to it pretty quickly. Um, so did a bit of running within that and then um, met a, a lady, Judy Briscoe there as well, uh, not, not through St. Kevin's, but, you know, just from getting involved in running at that time. And she sort of became my first real coach. Uh, she's a really smart coach. And a lot of the stuff I do with my younger kids is based on what I learned from Judy, you know, which is, you know, we just trained once a week and you know, it was about fun and enjoying it and, you know, a long-term eye to the future. Um and then I guess at St. Kevin's had some a little bit of success, you know, snuck in the 10-year-old Met North team uh, for the 800 metres. Uh, wouldn't have made the girls' team, though. They, they all ran quicker than us, but made the, Met, made the boys' team uh, run out in the heats at States. Uh, didn't make it back to States again until I was 14 at that level, but had a 12 years, won the Met North Cross Country Championships, which was, which was pretty big back then, and, and you know, beat a really well-renowned runner 
um, who actually went to my mum's school. So that was, that was kind of funny. Um, she handled it very well, very professional. Um, <laughs> and I think I come like 15th or something like that at state cross country that year, but uh, was doing all sorts of sports. And yeah, at St. Kevin's, there's a, a bunch of families that worked in nudgy boarding at the time were there and sort of was going to go to Padua College, which I was filthy about. No, no disrespect to them, but was desperate to go to St. Pat Shawncliffe where I'd grown up watching all their teams play footy with dad, you know, coaching there and all that sort of stuff. So I was desperate to go to St. Pat's and I sort of ended up, you can go to Nudgy where they don't play St. Pat's, so you can go to Padua and play, yeah. play St. Pat's. So I, was, I chose Nudgy. <laughs> Um, and, and I mean, like, all yeah, so worked out all right in the end. So we ended up there and avoided that fate, which was good. And, you know, that's where I met, ended up meeting a couple of people, Peter Kropp and Paul Schomburg, that became my coaches. And, and you know, P, Peter's still a colleague. And, yeah, that was the story. So yeah, that got me to Nudgy. And the so the primary school cross country, from memory for me, I did a bit of uh, Met North stuff too. I attended Ashgrove State School. Um, not at a level you ran at, at that point in time, but I think it was 3K. Uh, and we, we we experienced school as year seven as part of primary. Yeah. What sort of times are you putting down for the three and also the 800, oh, like sub 230, 800 I, or? Yeah, I couldn't tell you anything to do with cross country. Yeah. Um, uh, but I do remember, um, yeah, at Met North as a 12 year old, like I, I think I come fourth two years in a row in the 800. Uh, after coming third and I ran I'm pretty sure I ran uh, 228 in the final like just got under 230 which was I was pretty happy with oh, it's isn't it crazy how much 800s that, that like the time the increase or decrease shall we call it even across yeah. 789 yeah. just drops like five seconds yeah. five um, again and it's all, it's all of a sudden yeah. by year nine ten you, you'd want to be running close to two these days yeah yeah it blows me mind like yeah yeah, how fast these guys are running. I got a, a young fella at the moment. He just finished his thirteen-year-old year, and he and he ran um, like I think he ended up running two sixteen and four thirty-nine. And you know that to me, when I was a kid, is like you're you're making the state final and at least one of those. And he didn't make it. He, he didn't even. I don't think he even made the Met North team. He sort of got a bit stiff on, in one of those in the fifteen hundred, but like you go and run that at stage, you're not making a final, which is pretty crazy. So yeah, it blows my mind how, how fast those young fellas are getting. Oh yeah. So in terms of you, then progression across 800 meters, you, you started at 228 primary school. What sort of times were you then hitting in the early high school times? And then by the end of 2005, were you anywhere near the, the 150? Yeah. So I think I ran, I think in the, I was the last meter, the under 13s, I ran like 219. Yeah, and was the reserve the 800 for Jeeps? Actually, threw a discus at, at the under 13 Jeeps, came seventh. So, that was, uh, so I, was, I was a decent discus though, to be fair. Like in the 14 years, yeah, I went to states, you know, qualified the eight, the 15, the discus. So 14 was when I started to put a bit of effort into training. I sort of avoided it. I had the horrendous growing pains as, as a 13 year old, didn't really do much running at all. And then, um, had a couple of breakthroughs. All of a sudden, I could run a 400 a bit quicker as a 14-year-old and ran 207 um, and made the state final, but got appendicitis that night. So didn't run the final. <laughs> and that was that was for me the moment where I sort of missed, like there was a fella and I'm actually coaching his nephew at the moment. Uh, you know, Nick Stevenson was this guy's name. He's an Ippy grammar boy. And um, he ran, he went from like 208 to 202 at Jeeps the next week. And I obviously didn't get to run Jeeps. And I thought, oh, I can... 
right, if he can run 202, well, surely I could have run 202, like at least. And um, yeah, that holidays was, that was sort of there. Well, I was pretty heartbroken. Like I knew enough about, about sport to know that oh, making a final at States is that you must be okay. Like, so I sort of, I'd played the 13 A's, 14 A's rugby at school and thought, oh, it might be time to uh, try this running thing. It's a bit more fun. I'm enjoying the people I'm with. I you know, uh, really enjoyed the guys that were running at Nudgee and they're still some of my best friends. Um, so that was the, the sort of moment. And then the next year I, was, I did a full cross country season for the first time ever and I won GPS cross country. And that was sort of everything just clicked. And I think I ran one, I ran what I know I ran 156 at the end of the year and, and won the under 16 national title. Um, I think I went to 153 the next year and then finished year first. I did two years, year 12, but as a 17 year old, I sort of finished the year. I ran a meet in Sydney uh, the mum and dad won the Nudgee College 115-year anniversary raffle and took the – which was return flights to San Francisco. They turned it into a family trip to Fiji, but I didn't get to go. So I went to Sydney the week before Nationals <laughs> instead and ran a club meet there and ended up in a race like against Nick Bromley. You know, I was just running an 800 and just hung on to him for 800 metres and he kicked away with about 150 to go, but ran 150. So I finished um, year, the end of my real year 12 as, as like a 150.7 type guy. Yeah. Um, and in then... terms of school then, didn't you, or don't you still have the record for 800? Uh, like the Nudgy one? Nudgy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I ran the next year as an 18 year old in year 12. I ran, oh, okay. it was trying to qualify for World Juniors and it was just, it was a bit of a mess with uh, Matt Fox of, you know, sweat, sweat elite fame and then another guy, Ryan Foster. Uh, we'd sort of all qualified. Lockie Renshaw was the, he was the guy. So he was in, we had to race off and Matt and I, I think Ryan just said, oh, I'm actually too tired. I'm not going to try out anymore after the trials. So Matt and I raced off over two weeks in a row um, on the Gold Coast and the second of those around 148.9. So that was, I just skipped the 149s. went from 150.1 to 148.9 there. So that was uh, so that a was big jump. Coast. Yeah, that, that down under me, it was pretty funny. Like there's myself and Matt looking to run sub 150 in this race. And then there was a bloke from America, one of the dads or managers from the, on that down under tour. It had a few beers the night before and put a late entry in to see if he could run under 240. <laughs> and he gets on, he's, I'll never, he's on the start line. I think he realized, oh, what have I got myself into here? I think we, we ran the first lap in 51.6. Wow. <laughs> so Jeez. we nearly lapped him. Yeah, mate, 148 at that, you know, at that age, that you wouldn't have, and you've been around GPS for a long time now, there wouldn't have been too many. How many can you sort of think in the top of your head that have gone sub 150 in year 12? Uh, well, so my coaches at that stage were pretty, you know, they they knew the history of it. They'd grown up around the sport. They're pretty confident that was the quickest Queensland schoolboys time at the time. I think I think Joey Dang went like not 140 maybe a tenth faster a few years ago. And obviously Peyton Craig ended up going like 147 last year, which oh, blows me more. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So if you, yeah, like Werner Botha, he, he ran 149 pretty consistently yeah. through his year 12 year. Um, but apart from that, not, not a ton. 
Yeah, and I'd mate, I recall because I was, as I alluded to in primary school, around the scene. I, again, nowhere near you. I was literally, I think I hit 210 in year 10 and stayed at 210 for 800. And then for the 1500, I was a 430 guy. Again, from year 10 to year 12, no improvement. Um, but I just remember hearing the name Nick Tui. I, I've got very vague memories of, of seeing you, the curly hair, you know, that stood out back in the day. Um, but then what did that lead you into post-school? You went to uh, do, do the American running. Were you there for a year or so? And like, how was that experience to accelerate yeah. your running? We're seeing a lot of recent runners over there. Well, I guess in terms of these days, Kai Robinson, Ollie Hoare, for example. But how was your experience? Yeah, it was um, interesting. So I get, I'd sort of committed to a school, Texas A&M, before that time. Um, at the start of year 12 but the whole reason I did that second year was to be a bit older I was going to be so young I would have been 17 and a half at university which just would have been a little bit crazy when they're not finishing high school some of them till they're 19 so um, yeah it, it was an experience to go and live in Texas uh, you know um, very conservative type school um, yeah not a lot of diversity at the school, uh, you know, things like that. It was it was a bit wild at times. And when I look back on it and go, some of the things I saw, I didn't really appreciate at the time. And you know, I was over there for, um, you know, Obama winning the election and his inauguration. Like, I, you know, now I look back at it and go, well, that was such a special time to be in America. Mm. Um, whereas at the time, he sort of just, I didn't appreciate it, which is a bit of a shame. Um, overall, it was a really good experience, but also, like, you know, it's something that I probably wasted as well early on. I was, when I first got there, I'd never really lost once I started training. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of come through an age group where I, I won everything in, in Queensland and in school. And, you know, you get this idea that you're really tough mentally and hard to beat and then you get over to America. You know, my first race, we win a relay. Oh, so it's just like home. And then my second race, I ran an 800 and there was a Kenyan from UTEP who I just I nipped at his nails the whole way, but just couldn't quite get past him. But I was a really good runner. Oh, this is good. But then all of a sudden, like six weeks later, like I've not won a race. Yeah, you, know, you start going, oh, I think at that time too, my granddad had died on the first time, first week I was there. So I started getting pretty homesick. And um, and then all of a sudden, like you just like, next minute I'm probably put on three or four kilos and you not, haven't won a race for like six or seven months. And you know, what's going on here? And the confidence is just gone. And, and then it just sort of spiraled in a way. Like I just... I relied on confidence for a long time. I don't think I realized that. And I lost all that confidence. And I'll, the training I was doing was fine and all that sort of stuff. But I started, I quit, I, then I started a bit of self-doubt and all that sort of stuff in that, that first year there. And that really set me back. And I, I probably I drank too much after that. And I'd, I'd drink a Coke every night because it was the only way I could not feel homesick type thing. Um, it, was, it was quite tough. Um, then I sort of lost a lot lost all that weight over summer and came back in really good shape and thought had this amazing cross country season. Yeah. You know, so, sorry to interrupt. Was, this is 2007 now. Yeah. This is 2007. Seven, yeah. Second so, year. And, yep. Yep. Ran, yeah. And so the end of 2007, like I'm thinking, I think I might be able to make the Olympics here. Like I've never been this fit before. And you know, I ran that, I ran that 30, 50 for the 10 K and yeah, you know, I wasn't like doing workouts. Like, I do one cross country workout a week with the team and I do about three quarters of it because coach was really wary of like burning me out for track season. It's one of the great myths that you go to college and the college coaches don't care about you. Like that, that's a ridiculous myth. It's just not true. And, um, you know, to the point where 
he was like, if we make nationals for cross country, you're running the 10K. Then he goes, actually, Nick, we can't make national, nationals without you. You're running regionals, but not <laughs> you're not running nationals. Yeah, he, so he was protecting me, Coach Waters, like that. Like, and um, yeah, around that time, uh, had a really good run at the conference meet after being sick and thought, geez, I'm going to, I reckon I can run pretty good here coming up early 2008. Um, and that's where I entered a real tough spot with my running. I sort of ran a 151, the first 800 at Arkansas. And I was okay with it. Like I just felt slow. Okay. I had one pace. Like, well, you know what, Nick, you haven't done any real hard work. Yeah. Like it's going to come good. And I had a mile the next week and I think it was in Kentucky. And I thought I'm going to, I could run pretty quick here. Like I'm pretty fit. Ran 407, was a bit disappointed. Uh, and then, then it just sort of spiraled from there. I went around 800 at New York where I'd run really well the year before in a really rough and tumble race and ended up running like 155 or something like that. Might have been a meet in between. I started to just go, what's going on here? Like I ran that when I was 16 like mm. for breakfast. And now I can't do it. And then, then I went to New York and I ran 157 and I went flat out like, I think I remember coach, I remember seeing him. Coach was about, he was about to spray me to go, like, what the hell was that? Like, he was angry. And then I think he saw my eyes. I was like in tears. And he, stayed, and he obviously, he was good coaching. He noticed and goes, oh shit, what's wrong here? Coach, like, I've just, I, I imagine that looked like I didn't try, but I've, I could not have tried any harder in that race. And I was, I was just exhausted. I think we, we had all this blood test done and I'm, I might have had high iron levels, but it wasn't like through the roof, hemochromatosis, like anything like that. Um, I think I was probably just just burnt out, but it probably took a couple of years of reflection to really acknowledge that at that time, if that makes sense. And so it was a it was a nasty place, and I sort of in the end, coach was really good. He, he ended up letting me train uh, like a six week system in the outdoor season with um, under my school coach uh, Paul Schomburg's training. So yeah, my American coach actually let my old coach write me a program and do it over there, and gave me some runners to do it with me. So I think like I always get annoyed when people say some of these college coaches don't care about the athlete. Like that's like the ultimate amount of care. Like talk about checking your ego at the door. Yeah. You know, that's, that's amazing to me. I've always, I've always appreciated that. And pretty much the purpose of that training was let's just train really hard and see what happens, you know, embrace it a bit and sort of and try and get some speed back in the legs. Sort of thought maybe I hadn't, I'd lost a lot of speed and couldn't quite get the 800 down, but ran a 350, 1500, which was a PB and things are going. And we end up having the crazy idea. Let's run a steeplechase. Um, oh, right. right at the end of the year, well, we played a game of flag football one day and I was out there like playing like it was a Super Bowl. And uh, Coach Wars, Coach Wars didn't really realize I'd grow up playing you know, Aussie Rules and Rugby Union. And, you know, it was, that was some things I did. Because I didn't realize you were such an athlete. Let's try the steeple. So I did two days of steeple back to back to try and get a race in that weekend and sort of from that rushing that through got a stress fracture i think that sort of developed a stressy that was sort of probably tipped me over the edge um, and that ended up being what was like the death knock for my college career i sort of rehabbed it back in australia missed a cross-country season but it never fully healed properly uh, ran a decent indoor season ran like 150 at about 64 kilograms the next year but and so that's actually my claim to fame for college. Around 150 at 64 and 74 kilograms, which I think is pretty mm. cool. <laughs> um, and then, um, but just eventually, like I was doing, you know, the Alter G treadmill, like in that indoor season, if I wasn't doing a workout on the track, my running was on the Alter G and eventually I got sick of that. I said, coach, I'm either healthier or I'm not. Let me run normally. 
yep, fine. So outdoors roll around, I'll do one week of normal training and my leg just falls apart. And, and so it's 2008 now. That's probably, that's 2009, I think, yeah. So you, so, that was, you were there three or four years? Three, three and a half years, something three and like and that, half. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up coming home and getting surgery and, and just, yeah, didn't go back. Uh, just needed, needed a fresh start to enjoy my running. Yeah. And so, Nick, who else was around at that time in terms of the 800, in terms of, uh, you know, professional athletes who was like your back in Australia, okay. your rival? Was there anyone else in America at the time from Australia? From Australia. Yeah. Right. So I used to have a great, like, schoolboy rivalry with uh, Ryan Foster, Tasmanian, like, real versatile athlete. I think he jumped like 670 in the long. Oh. I went to, did he qualify for World Youth in the steeple? Um, stuff like that could run 150, uh, and I think he ended up running 336. Uh, well, he went to Penn State, had a really phenomenal college career. Um, Matt Gibney might have gone over there, was my age as well, and did all right. I think he went to Villanova, but yeah, we were sort of the there was a crew, I think, a few years earlier that sort of had a crack and then it sort of died off a little bit, and then. Yeah, you know, really like that was the time of like MySpace. And I, I don't know if that sort of had an impact. MySpace, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of become a thing again, people getting recruited and that. And it was quite a few of us started going over around that time. Um, and then obviously we sort of take off probably five years later. They're the, they're the ones I can recall sort of being over there at that time. Oh, Ross Ridgewell was another one. He was a he got a third at NCAA's indoors. Andrew Crummins went over to Florida State. Yeah. He was a little bit older than me. So, yeah, there are a few guys heading over. And then, so the Olympics were 2008, weren't they? Yeah. And so, who was the athlete for the 800 Australian? Did Lockie Renshaw end up running that one? Or I think Lockie Renshaw qualified there. So, he was, yeah, the, the, he and Nick Bromley were running right at that stage, the, probably the best two 800 meter runners in the country. Um, yeah. and, and Jeff Rossi might have made those Olympics too. Yeah, probably in the young days. Impressive. I think he did, yeah. So I remember racing Jeff in the – we were Victorian champs in 06. Yeah. And um, I was trying to pump out a second qualifier, but the meet was on the MCG. As yeah. Pre, you know, the the warm-up event test run for the Commonwealth Games. And, yeah, that was Jeff's first time under 150 in that final. And he – Rinaldi beat him, and that was Risley, and then Matt Hammond and myself in, in the final. It was a – yeah, it's pretty funny to see now, um, you know, Justin coaching Jeff at the end of his career was pretty sweet. Yeah, and and like so close yet, um, if we look at it honestly too, like almost so far, so to speak, because you you probably want to be hitting, you know, in, from in terms of Australian professional eight hundred meter running in the last twenty years, one forty six, one forty five, bowls hit one forty four, I think, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You five, were yeah. you're one forty seven high, so again, yeah. like so close, and you can see how you had those thoughts about. Uh, making it big time, and then literally after your, your injury with the steeple, um, you think do you think that's the main catalyst? Was there some, anything else in there? Do you think it was just at that point in time that part of you thinking it was too hard to get to drop that time because ten seconds, you know, less than one forty seven in the eight hundred meters is yeah. a significant time, isn't it? Like difference. Yeah. The, well, the, when I came back, yeah, from college, the idea was to run the fifteen hundred. Um, once we started, so we just sort of had the first season, get healthy again, have some fun. Um, that's actually, and I ended up running, I think 148 and 345, but got fourth, fourth or fifth, fifth at nationals over 1500 off about 20k a week in 2010. 
you know, behind four A qualifiers that chased him down the straight. Um, it's funny though, that was the only time I really ran nationals healthy. Mm. Uh, yeah, so yeah, like for me, it was more the 1500. Yeah, it was a literal case of so close yet so far because so many times I'd get really fit and healthy and, and run some really good early season races and think, here I am. And then you get some stupid different injury that you've never had before. You know, and people, kids always ask, they might hear somewhere, oh, so we heard you, you went to the Olympics. Uh, someone must tell them lies. Go, yeah, well, not quite. Yeah. Go, Did you get close? And oh, kind of like, you know, like, oh, you know, I was good enough to think that was a real possibility, but like, it's not like I was ever in the championship race with the qualifier ready, ready to make it, you know, if that makes sense too. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but certainly on the trajectory, if we, if we were to graph your times, you know, you were heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think 2014 is the closest I ever was. I won around my best race. It's not my PB for 800, but I ran 147.9 at the Hunter Track Classic and um, really hadn't worked out too hard yet at training and, and was in good nick. Uh, and it was like a really even split race. I think I ran 53.8 essentially twice, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay, well, I'm on here. And then I went to Hobart two weeks later and won the 1500 pretty comfortably there. I almost ran it like a heat. And I thought, okay, well, time to go away. And then I did a workout a week or two later and my calf had been sore at the, the morning after the Hobart race, but I just, yeah, sore calf, right? Whatever. And this session, I can't even, I, I don't even want to know exactly what it was, but yeah, it's the first time in my life where I trained. I said, oh, I can run 334 here, something like that. Like I can do that. That's a thing. Um, I feel good. It was, you know, running you know, 40 seconds rest. I think I would have done, ended up doing, running 56s, just like real comfortable 56s and had done two sets of four and like a 150 cycle. I was like, yeah, good this. I'm on here. And I had three 200s to do at the end. I shouldn't have done them. Like I, but it was on the program, so I did them. That's how I sort of operated. And my calf was starting to get sore and I should have done it. And on the second one, I went ping in the air. And yeah, that was the perfect case because I would have run... The next race, as long as it was right, the winner ran 335, I would have been right there with them, you know. Mm. So, yeah, that's that's probably the, the so close, so far nature of it, right? Because in the end, like, I can tell you that story, but only I really know what shape I was in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and, exactly. And it means nothing. And it means absolutely nothing. So, because it's just shape, it doesn't count. It's like claiming your PB in training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you, you're running competitively, as we said earlier, to up to 2016. So you're, you're still going at the 1500, particularly by the looks of it, a few 3Ks yeah. along the way. So like, how how was that experience knowing that you did come so close and a few injuries came about? Uh, because like the more elite runners these days, the boys or young adults can resonate with that, but also anyone like going through an injury yeah. as a runner who runs all the time as part of your identity. And when it's stripped away yeah. from you, even for for a week um, as well, it can be can be pretty tough. Yeah, it's really hard. Like I think general public public don't really general population say don't necessarily understand that. Like the moment, like I'm running that race in 2014. Like I was going to go on that AFL show, the recruit, and you know I make this decision. No, nah, I'm not even going to bother. Like I'm going so well, you know when I. You know, I, I just, I don't need to do this. I'm running so well. So I'll just go, I'll go to Hobart instead, not go to the trial. So I win that race and you're on top of the world and you do that session and then bang. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking. Like that next day, it's the lowest of the lows. It's, it's dark. And 
the moment until you can see someone to tell you how bad it is, like it's so hard to get through that. And then, you know, you get to that moment where you see the physio and they're like, this is the injury. You've got this amount. Then you get a little bounce back from that, right? But then there's, so it lifts you up a bit, but then you go back down in the next coming weeks where you rehab and you feel ages away. And, you know, that calf, for example, I'm trying, you know, try to get, try to come back a week early because it, it was otherwise it was pointless. And then, you know, feel okay in the first set then you can feel that you've done the calf again in the second set and it's just that's the lowest of lows and i think probably the hardest one for me ever was um yeah 2016 we're really deliberate with our approach in in terms of trying to make that team real slow build up patient patient by this stage we think we know the body pretty well like i can only be at my absolute top shape for three weeks you know so we've got to get over to europe hit the time over there have a good race at the Olympic trials and then get to Europe and hit the time over there and get on the team as late as you can type thing. And then like, oh, what have I done? I'm, the morning of my sister's wedding, I get this, uh, this huge uh, neural hamstring, which I just started picking up in 2016. You know, it's meant to be one of the best days of your life. Your sister's getting married to the you know, husband of her dreams and, you walk in and all you want to do is go bury yourself in your bed while all the bridesmaids and everyone's getting changed at home. Yeah. Like, you know, that was one of the hardest days of my life in a way. Like, cause then, and then you got to go in front up and, and be really happy and you are really happy, but you've also got this like, mm. and it's so hard to explain without like insulting your family. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the happiest day of your life. But then deep down below, you're like this massive individual chasing this individual goal you know, with a whole team around you and you put them all on your shoulders, right? You want to carry them to this goal, give the, the, let them say that they're the coach of an Olympian and that, you know what I mean, all that stuff. And mm. that's just eating you inside. That's so hard to deal with. And But then you get over that injury and a week later, you're back on the track, but you sort of know like, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to... The Olympic trials are the next week. And like the first time I ran flat out was it the last run through for my heat. And yeah, I ended up running four minutes. Like I was, it was a disaster. Mm. But yeah, you know, a week later, I'm training really well. It was just that I just knew in that moment that was that hamstrings ruined you. And then um, I put a good bit of training in, but then stand on a rock in a cool down. And um, what I, I can't even think, I tore my plantar plate in my toe. You know, but that, that, uh, went over to Europe, to London, and I'm doing 300 on the track and, I literally cannot run around the bend. You know, the plantar plate sort of sits under here. Yeah. To my left yeah. foot. And so can't turn. And I run the first time. I'm trying to do three sets of three 300s. I've been there a week and I can get out. I'm getting out in 13 seconds really easily. I can't run around the bend. I barely get around the bend, which is ruining my legs, my confidence. And all of a sudden I'm running 44 for these 300s. So I'm meant to be running in 39. And uh, at that stage, that, that was just heartbreaking, like. You just want to hide and run away, like because you just you know in that moment, or unless I run the marathon in four years' time, oh, I ain't gonna do what I want to do. Like that's so hard to explain what that's like. Yeah, that's uh, it's like a roller coaster, isn't it? And um, oh, you yeah. seem so unlucky with injury, and it like in roller coaster in terms of both performance, but then like you're alluding to the the mental and emotional state that you roll through, and then fronting up to like things like a wedding, whether it's work or like a social event. And uh, that contrast between individually pushing yourself, but then wanting to be present for other things. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's like, um, how would you say? I often say it's like almost like being friend zoned. Like 
I'd get this injury and I'd work so hard to make sure I never got it again. Right. And you get over that and then you start to get real close and you might, you know, I might run like a 147 or 148 and feel really good in the eight and got a 15 coming up or win a race and have a good cross country season. Oh, this is the year, this is the year. And then bang, different injury. And then you, all those emotions we just explained and you redo it and you go through all the rehab and all that. And you, then you get a different one and you're like, well, what am I meant to do here? Like, None of these are related. Like, what's going on? Yeah. So, but yes, you got to push limit too. Yeah, yeah. You got to see what you got, right? It's 2016. Yeah, you're what? That's uh, seven years ago. So late 28s, which really yeah. well. Um, you know, across 800, 1500, it's probably a time you're, you're really peaking in that event. Anyway, mm. it's not like you're. Old. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, by that stage, mentally, I'm, I'm, I'm at it. Yeah. Like, um, I cannot justify the mental toll this is taking on me, the, the amount of money I'm spending, get my parents to spend on treatments and all stuff like that. And I had a brilliant physio who would give me half price, Lucy, uh, you know, things like that. And, you know, I'm doing Pilates twice a week and all that. I'm stretching the house down. Yeah, I'm doing all the recovery. There's only so long you can do that for. I just, at that time, I still wanted to run fast, but I sure as hell didn't want to do recovery anymore and all that sort of stuff i didn't have any interest in that anymore yeah so how'd that look when transitioning to being a coach was it pretty immediate after the the running was it like screw this i need it well i was coaching the whole way through i was sort of coaching Uh, yeah well i was coaching anyway yeah Yeah. so um but i think it meant in those first couple years after like i didn't particularly i don't know if i didn't enjoy coaching but like there were times where I, was like, I don't want to go to track right now. Like this this sucks. I hate I hate running. Like this is such a mean sport to me at the moment. Yeah, it's a bit of a pity party, but you know, it is just what you feel like. And um, so then that's where like COVID for me in a way was was terrific because you couldn't coach really, you yeah. know, and oh, it just gave me a break and a chance to get over a few demons and accept things and you know stop being so bitter towards the sport at times and so that worked out really well for me whereas you know i really enjoy following the sport again yeah we, we, we sorry we see a few uh several coaches out there who used to be or you know i guess to a degree uh, ran at a high level and now are coaching um it must be tough like getting that idea to run for just general health for mental health versus like who you used to be as an athlete and not running necessarily for competition, but just running routinely yeah. as part of a habitual lifestyle must be challenging. Yeah, I, I definitely struggle to, um, not as much now, but for a while, yeah, if, unless I was running with someone, like it was quite hard for me to go running. I just, and even, and even now, like I probably don't, I'm more than likely running with someone. I think um, if I'm going to run by myself, I, got, I can get out and do six to eight K. But if I'm doing anything longer than that, look, I want to be with someone. That's where the enjoyment, I want to share that with someone. I particularly enjoyed doing it by myself. I don't know if that was me just like, you know, doing everything by myself as a kid. Um, sorry, like as a kid, I mean like 20 to 25, I did all my training pretty much by myself. So, um, but I do, I do get that nice feeling now. You know, I enjoy going for a run, which is good because I definitely didn't have that there for a few years. Yeah. So what, what have you learned from that, both from a 
uh, psychological point of view, uh, but also the training week. Like, how did you train back in the day as an athlete and how do you coach now and how do they differ? But then also, as I just mentioned about the skills uh, emotionally and mentally to handle the, the high performance uh, conditions. I think for me, it's getting the kids to understand why, why they run um, and seeing if they need to adjust that. Like, uh, for a long time, you know, I only ran to win. Like that was, it was about being the best person and wanting to be the best and be a national champion and, and be an Olympian. And I, that takes it out of you. I think I grew up, you know, 2014 on, I sort of, I didn't really care too much anymore in a while. I just wanted to run fast. So I definitely sort of changed the reasons I want to run, but I still I think had that residue from a long period of time where everything was performance-based in my mind. Like, did I win? And, you know, to the point I'd get bitter when someone ran faster than me, for example, whereas you don't really want to be like that, but I'd be jealous. Um, and, and so that's it with, with the kids now. It's trying to get them to understand, like, your career should all be all about your improvement and what time you can run. And do you feel confident that you've run the best you can? And the way to do that is, yeah, you've got to be competitive and race people. But, you know, people will be better than you not many people get to say there's no one better than them and even those people lose and, and things like that and so my, my coaching is really getting kids to understand that it it's a you know it's a long game you don't have to win every race right now and and um to really enjoy their running and understand that hopefully their running really should be about like chasing the to be the fastest they can be you know that's probably going to give you more enjoyment than any race you can win yeah yeah and understanding too that that hopefully they're running like well into adulthood uh, in no matter yeah. shape or form, whether it be competitive or, or leisurely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to see. So the training week, what would you recommend these days? 800 meter, if you, you've got a young adult on the rise, what would you recommend Monday to Sunday? Just very uh, generally, what would they? Be, what should they be doing? Plyometric strength wow. training along with any uh, running. <laughs> what are we doing? Our little week at the moment, if I've got a guy who's running with me all year, you know, we're yeah. trying to do uh, you know, 400 to 1200 meter reps on a Tuesday. And then we do sort of a mix with something faster in there on a, on a uh, Thursday, you know, so maybe four fours, a fast 500, then, you know, five, three hundreds, things like that. And then Saturday, we're really big on trying to get the kids out to race, but if not, we do sort of race sim stuff, speed endurance at the track on a Saturday morning. And then, yeah, if that's three sessions a week, get a couple of jogs in there, Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, depending how old, like, you know, my younger kids might just come to me Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, that's the only running they're doing. The older guys start to go uh, away, um, which is, yeah, that's actually, that's less than I did. You know, through school, I sort of was we were just on the track Monday to Thursday. Um, so I'll try to get away from that for these kids who want to run all year and, and try and just change that up a little bit. Um, but yeah, something like that. And how, how long's the long, particularly, you know, also, also contrasting if you run eight or 1500, would you suggest is, is 10K enough, say, for that? I'd, I'd have no idea oh, I think in that, when that short realm of 800. Yeah. In the 800, I think it's, it's whatever. There's so many different types of 800 meter runners, right? You know, there's some that can run 144 off 150K a week and they need to, whereas there's some that can do it off. 40k a week so i think it's just learning what the athlete is I, in my kids at school i like them the young kids at school if they can eventually across a year work from 6k up to 10k as their long easy and learn how to run easy rather than just thrashing themselves that's the 
I appreciate that. And then then you can start getting them a bit longer as long as they enjoy it, right? Like should be fun Sunday. Like get out, relaxing, and have a run. How good is it? Let's right, talk about, about uh, future plans. So you're, you're running and coaching. Where, where are you heading with uh, Run the North or individually? Um, yeah, just just looking to keep growing, run the North, find a nice number. We got my assistant Mikey. He's come back from overseas, so that's handy. Makes life a bit easier. Um, and just there, yeah, look to keep providing. Like we just started that to provide opportunities for people that we didn't think were there on the north side of Brisbane. So. Yeah, I don't plan to stop it anytime soon because what's the point of doing it for three years and then stop, you know? Uh, and yeah, so looking forward to just putting a good stint in here at Nudgy as well and um, hopefully leaving the program in a better place than, um, you know, when, when it was sort of when I found it when I was a kid in year eight, you know, it was in a good place there. We just keep trying to make it better. Yeah, there's a lot of depth there at the moment too at Nudgy, and they've been uh, competitive for, for a handful of years. Uh, and when I was there in the holidays, actually on the track, I've seen you with a squad, uh, probably cross-country runners, but that pushes into the track season too. But it was a healthy number of boys. So um, I'm sure the numbers are thriving. And any different plans this year for uh, athletics or cross-country? I've got to be careful what I say. <laughs> um, oh, I think for us, it's just about just getting a real passion for the singlet. Um, you know, maybe my, my big goal for the year is be making sure that the kids that we have running, like they know why they're running and, and how everything works. Um, I think sometimes we forget that kids might not actually be aware of <laughs> how the meat works, you know? Uh, and so my big thing for years is this real big culture of like, Every single person on this team has a role. You know, you might come 100th at Jeeps. That's okay. Yeah, you've got a role. You know, you might be the team comedian, but you might be the best friend of two guys who come top 30 who weren't going to run, but they ran because you did. You know, like that, that, that's probably my big thing is that real understanding of, you know, the purpose and, and that and pride in the singlet. Yeah, that's good, mate. And uh, I do wish the best to you. I'm actually, I'm dropping down to yeah. assistant coach this year in my new role. Oh, there you seven, go. So I'll be out there, but not uh, not at the forefront. <laughs> There's rumours out there. I'm also not going to talk to the rumours about who might be filling in for me, uh, but uh, it's, it's someone well-known in the running community uh, or relatively well-known. But anyway, uh, moving on to you, what about individually? Any uh, halves or narrows on the uh, forecast? Uh, well, we'll see. I think... Um partner and I would like to go overseas mid-year when Gold Coast is on. Um, but we, we keep just pushing that off <laughs> planning-wise. We need to knuckle down and see what that looks like. Um, but she's really keen to run a half marathon. She might do one at uh, Noosa she was thinking about, the first one. So I might uh, help her out there and then wouldn't mind going and doing Melbourne um, at the end of the year as well if we, do, if we go away and then um, nice little weekend away, right? Fit a marathon in. Yeah. An adventure. I, I would like to do one overseas, uh, an American marathon. I think quite fun. Oh, so, definitely. Yeah. Oh, good luck to it all, mate. Um, we're going to finish <laughs> with some listener questions today. I normally have questions for my uh, of myself to, uh, yeah, for the guests. But uh, with time, we'll, we'll get to them. And you've got yeah, there's a fair few here, as uh, you mentioned. We, a few we had predicted. No yeah. So do we want the stitch ups in there or the more serious questions yeah. or a bit of a mix? Be what do you ask, mate? 
Oh, it'll be interesting to see how many came from the HP I guess the, the stitch-ups are pretty quick anyway. We have a laugh and move on. Actually, there's a few that have done the stitch-up but then followed with a serious question. So it could actually work pretty well. Uh, one second as I go through these. Uh, okay, who's Luke Lloyd? Yeah, he's a good run, the North man. Yeah. Okay, so the stitch-up question. Um, ask him who his number one pick for this year in his adult run club run the north is and why why is it luke lloyd <laughs> well it's it's not luke lloyd um luke lloyd doesn't listen to his coaches enough <laughs> <laughs> so we'll north. just go with it's not luke lloyd <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough and then he said pros versus cons of fatigue training and how much how much is too much fatigue training that's a interesting term he's used what does he mean by that yeah well well he's asking this because he keeps signing up for more and more stupid races oh. i think he's just created this term to uh justify yeah him doing i ultra iron something's and oh it's unbelievable the, stuff, the amount of stuff he wants to do i love it the passion that, that he's picked up for running has been great to see um I do think something I think is big, really important though, is training under fatigue in that sense, especially I've noticed in the marathon, you know, I think traditionally you yeah, go to a half marathon as you leg it up, but I think really it's, we did something like, yeah, go to a 10K and then your big long run the next day. And that's a really good way to get that marathon simulation in. Yeah, I get that now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, you've got to be uh, probably a well-trained athlete and maybe sort of progress into doing that not just oh, doing it randomly so. as a one-off might, <laughs> might start getting injured 100%. But, uh, that makes a bit more sense uh bradley batterham batterham yeah what what was your original msn email curls get the girls <laughs> so, uh, that's good good memory from him yeah. <laughs> when was that one, 2003 one probably oh maybe even yeah something like that yeah mate 2003 Cre by cop mail creativity wasn't terrible. strong I was trying to explain to kids the other day about what MSN was when they, yeah, it was unbelievable. They had no idea. And we didn't foresee like potential ramifications, did we, as adults back then? No, 100%. 100%. <laughs> there were some corkers going around. Uh, mate, Duncan. Duncan uh, Markwell, he's a previous yeah, athlete of mine, if, I, if I'm going to claim yeah. him as a West End running group athlete. Yeah. After I did too much towards his running, or maybe he might thank me a little bit. But anyway, what's the secret to Lush? curly hair how do you provide lush curly hair to yourself well it's about just not cutting it for six months going into hibernation good wash every two days and then coming back out and seeing everyone again for the first time i think that's the the key uh all right let's finish on a serious one so this is joseph Pajara. do you know who that is yeah coach him at nudgy one of the yeah across gps cross country premier Great. So he's asking for some key 5K, 10K workouts. Surely you know a bit about that. It's not probably your speciality if we're being specific, but um, a mate of mine actually sent through the Deeks workout this morning. Um, and uh, he was, I don't know, just sort of alluding to it to me. And I said, mate, yeah, you've got to get into the Deeks workouts there. They're pretty prominent out there and um, yeah. a more formal way of training. But any, any super sessions, 5, 10K, what do you got? Yeah, so I enjoy the uh, 400 on 200 float. Uh, 10 laps, 4K of that. Yeah. Um, really enjoy that one, um, especially for, for pace control and, and any sort of, I think those events, it's really important you get your pacing right. So any workout, I think 400 is a great one to do because you, that's how you're sort of working out on the day. So, you know, 
bunch of 400s where you're focused on hitting that pace from the very start and, and not going out too early. And I think if, if you're running a 5K on the track, I think it's really important. I sort of learned this lesson, especially when I had some boys pretty fit not that long ago, but we hadn't done big, long work uh, reps and, and that cost them. So, you know, you know, some mile repeats on the track, I think when you're mm. going to run a 5K on the track are really important. It's a different beast to running a park run goes a lot even though it's the same distance it's certainly a lot longer when you do it on the track i think and you really need to have had some experience at running lap after lap um on the tracks so, yeah four by a mile something like that depending on depending on your fitness anything by a mile yeah it's, yeah it's, it's good mental critical. training too regardless of yeah, actually uh, it's, the yeah, it's critical 100 percent. yeah that mental the mental is critical I like that. So a bit of a mix of uh, shorter speed work mixed in with that could even be threshold work with 1K reps. Uh, what about continuous? Yeah. Anything continuous threshold work? That's what's hard to go past your fart leg, isn't it? Like yeah. it's just so good. Yeah. I just think, yeah, yeah. Obviously in Australia we love the the mono. Um, I, I love the way you can do that that session as a, you know, not that much change or like a real genuine fart leg with fast and slow. Um, so big, yeah, big fan of fartlek. Um, think all five k, ten k guys, we need to be smashing through some fartlek. Yeah, great, uh, mate. That's that's uh, yeah. We'll leave it there. There's a few more. Um, I'll send them through to you individually, so you've got <laughs> a taste of it. But uh, yeah, we'll leave it there. So thank you very much for your time. I've been wanting to get hold of you for about six months, and last time we spoke, uh, you were flat out. Uh, so we got here and we've made it happen. And you've got a story Thanks for having us. A story that will resonate with uh, many listeners out there. Uh, so uh, thank you and good luck to run the north. Uh, Nudgy and it, also mate. your yeah. individual running as you head towards Kipchoge's age and start to bring back <laughs> another another peak on the graph. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what happens. You too. Good luck. <laughs> Appreciate Cheers, it. Mate. And enjoy the uh, dinner tonight. One year anniversary. Cheers, All mate. Right. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Gotcha. See ya. Yeah, mate. Bye now. If you enjoyed listening to this interview or the local legend in running podcast, please visit Spotify, give it a rating. I'd much appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you.